Okay, I'm testing both of them recording at the same time. Maybe you can also say something. Okay. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> something. Okay. <laughs> nice. This episode is brought to you by OfferZen, a South African recruitment startup for developers. OfferZen inverts the normal recruitment process. Instead of applying for jobs, 350 tech companies in Cape Town, Johannesburg, and Pretoria send developers interview requests with upfront salary info. For developers, it's completely free to sign up and use. In fact, you get 5,000 Rand if you take a job through them. Visit OfferZen.com to sign up. That's O-F-F-E-R-Z-E-N.com. Hi, and welcome to episode 67 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight on the panel, I'm joined by Chantal. Hello. And our guest tonight is Clarice Bower. Hello, Clarice. Hello there. Clarice, for the listeners that don't know you, why don't we take a few minutes so you can introduce yourself and, and maybe start with where your journey with technology started? Oh, wow. That was a long time ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so um, I am... A software developer working at MultiChoice. I started out in 2006 where I was studying at CTI, which is Computer Training Institute. Um, basically, in high school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I set out to become a, a graphics designer. <laughs> and I, I didn't know if I wanted to study graphics design so I went into web design and um, I wanted to learn how forms worked so I studied at computer uh, at CTR and I ended up becoming a programmer falling in love with uh, C sharp and I started my career you can have a look at my my blog I've got a whole timeline there um, but I basically just started working at small companies until 2014 when I started joining a, com- uh, a corporate. So I worked at 315 and they are under Dimension Data. So I was dealing with corporate things from Dimension Data and they contracted me out to DSTV Digital Media at MultiChoice. So I found myself in the corporate chaos there was just corporates around me then um decided i wanted to start my blog and that's where corporate programmer came along i would ask then so your blog does it detail um what it's like to be um, a programmer in a corporate environment or is it a little bit more diverse than that so it started out as something where I wanted to have it as a survival kit because when I joined the environment, I didn't feel like I had all the answers. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, what was expected of me, how am I supposed to deal with all this corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if something happens, who do I call? What? So I wanted a survival kit basically, but it didn't turn out to be that way. I became more people-focused and oriented and the blog then became something of like a collection of journal entries for Mm self-discovery as well as a little bit of my corporate world experience so it changed a bit so it's it's rather diverse now and it focuses on a lot of personal traits and and personal elements that can help you just improve yourself as a whole so it's kind of like something that's documented your journey your career path so far in a sense, so it's it's documenting things that I'm experiencing at this point in time because what happened was from when I started my career up until a specific date, I think it was 2010 when I started worrying about what have I done with my career? It's just the same year every single year. So it's like you can imagine yourself saying that you've got – 10 years of one year experience yes yes. that's a bit hectic so i started having a mild panic attack thinking what have i done with my life so in 2000 and when did i start the blog 2014 i think or maybe 15 that's when i started just documenting so it doesn't necessarily have to be a full-on 
like this is exactly what happened during the day and this is how I learned and fixed it. It's just this is the biggest thing that I've learned this week or this this is the biggest thing happening right now. I want to write about it and share it and then be able to go back and reflect on it. And it's also it's constantly changing because what I think today, just like with code, whatever code you write today, the next day is probably going to be a bit like off. You're going to notice some code smells because you keep improving. Um, and it's the same with the blog. So I might have written something a while ago that I don't necessarily agree with now. Do you go back to those older posts that you've learned from a lot now and flag them as such? Or do you just leave it letting people infer that it might not be valid anymore? Um, I haven't gone back to many of them and um, flagged anything yet. I generally do follow-ups of of posts so i don't think a lot of people actually go back all the way to the beginning of the blog uh specifically with the way it's it's been created but uh, that's not a really bad idea so if i do i haven't read every single post again that i've written but if i do remember something that's not a bad idea to actually flag it and update it and say hey well i've changed my mind on my blog for the very old articles i actually changed the layout and the font and make it look old and it's got a warning that looks just says look technology moves fast like this might not work <laughs> don't don't yell at me anymore <laughs> if it doesn't <laughs> and i still want to make it automated to just go basically every time i publish anything that's older than 18 months switches to the retro layout um because of that oh that is so cool but i've still guilty of having to actually go back and, and have a look um, and see maybe there's some of those things that are like philosophically not sound at all since I've learned. But um, that's great. I mean, I was going to say, isn't that kind of like the corporate survival ship guide in the end that you were looking for? I mean, because big companies um, as technology in the end, is, it, it's a people problem. Not seldomly a software problem. You're very right with that. Uh, I think there's two components that the, the two components that you bring up. The people problem is definitely the biggest because we're all different, and now all of a sudden you've got a whole lot of people working together trying to work on the same thing. But we've all got our different opinions and thoughts, and it goes even high up into the different chains. So it makes for complicated and challenging things that happen but the technology aspect is also interesting because we all have our own like we were discussing earlier we were talking about the tools that people like using if you just think about the tools themselves and how passionate they become with the tools that they're talking about uh, this is the same with the technologies i mean react versus angular I mean, how many people have that debate? How many people have the debates of Vim versus Emacs? And those verses just keep on going on. So, yeah, there's definitely a people and technology aspect there. Yeah, the, the tooling ones are always the, the hard ones. It's... Sure, yeah, tell me about <laughs> it. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm trying to find the words, but it's almost like, like I've had these chats with Len so often, and especially after we had Kevin and Donnie on for the spine model chat, that, that, that gave it a, a way to think about it. It's almost like you've lost the plot when you get stuck at that level. And I mean, tools are important, especially, I guess, if you consider yourself, you know, like a craftsman, if that's the analogy that, that you go for. Why do the tools matter if we haven't even agreed on what we're building and why we're building it, and what's important about it, and what the value is. Yeah, or how we're going to do it cohesively as a team. Yeah, that's very, very true. So I'm curious about the your imposter syndrome blog post, because that seems to follow kind of the same trend, as you said, you were seeking out uh, different things and learning and, and, and articulating your experiences at, at different points in time. What kind of led to that one? So I was working on this massive project that had a deadline and it's funny how sometimes in Agile when people say deadline, people really freak out. But there was a reason why we had this deadline and our product wouldn't work if we didn't reach this deadline. Now, when I started working on this, I ended up working in a different team and for some reason, I just went back into some old ways of oh, I don't think I'm doing things right or I'm comparing myself to other people. 
And so I started doubting myself and I felt like I wasn't adding any value or achieving much. And I became very uncertain of my skills and I found it very difficult to concentrate and I felt like I was a hypocrite. So I'd heard of imposter syndrome before, specifically from Scott Hanselman's post where he says, I'm a phony, are you? So I'll share that that link with you afterwards. Please. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good post. It inspired my post and I think a lot of other people's posts. But I was I was stuck. And um, if you look at imposter syndrome or any any sort of sickness, ailment, disease, whatever you want to talk about, there's a, a scale that you can look at. And on the on the bottom end of the scale, it's like that's very low risk or it's low intensity. And then at the top of the scale you've got or at the end of the scale you've got the high intensity or the severity or the you know the the high risk. And in this scale where I was sitting was at 97%. And how I knew this was there was a study done and I can't remember the psychologist's name. I think it was something Lance. But she created this test that you take and um, you score yourself. Sorry, it was 95%. You score yourself and you get this percentage. And then it shows you the severity of the imposter syndrome that you're feeling at that point in time because it's always changing. So at that time, mine was really, really high. And I actually took that test after I'd written about it because I was curious to know how bad it was because I've got all these feelings. I'm writing about it, but I don't know what the severity is. And it was actually quite shocking. Wow. And um, did that help having that kind of context to then guide you to, to start taking some, some steps or to learn some more about imposter syndrome? So people say the moment you add a name to it, you've got control over it. And I find it very difficult to still agree with that because I feel like it still sometimes controls me, but I, I, I'm more knowledgeable about it. So I'm more aware of it. I've also got some techniques that I can apply to try and, and calm myself down so that I don't feel as intense or, or feel these feelings as intensely. Unfortunately, what happens is this happens with a bunch of high-achieving individuals. And unfortunately, that's like a lot of programmers tend to be high achieving individuals, maybe not financially all the time, but it's like you're trying to achieve things and you're, you're being successful in that sense. So I don't think it's it's limited to to a small percentage of the population. In fact, um, I think they did a study and they said 70% of the population, I think it was America, actually has imposter syndrome. Obviously, the severity depends, but uh, I think it impacts quite a lot of the people in our in our community, and maybe sometimes people are not aware of it. Well, I didn't realize it could potentially be that big. Yeah, there's quite a lot of people that get attacked, uh, not attacked, <laughs> sure, <laughs> that get affected by it. I'd, this might be naive. Um, okay, I actually all my questions will probably be naive around this, so please bear with me. No problem. For the people around you or for the people around anybody suffering from imposter syndrome, is this something that let's say let's make it a bit more tangible, the team, could they, could you or anybody else help the team understand uh, what it is so the team can also help change their behavior um, and their means of communication and feedback and everything to help lessen the burden or is it completely um, intrinsic? So I don't think that we can expect other people to change. We we can't control how other people behave. We can only control how we behave. We can't get hurt by other people, but we can allow other people to hurt us. And unfortunately, with imposter syndrome, I think it's got everything to do with the internalized thoughts process that's going on inside your head. Unfortunately, people with imposter syndrome have the um, the feeling that or the inability to internalize their accomplishments. So they have this persistent fear of being exposed as a fraud. That's not coming from the outside. That's coming from inside. 
And I think the trick is to realize that nobody really knows what they're doing all the time. So you just need to try, fail, learn, or learn from it, and try again. Putting it that way, maybe just realize that getting a team to celebrate all these successes well, it could actually make it worse if, if somebody can't internalize that celebration as opposed to having the effect that I thought it might have of helping them hold on to something. Yeah, it's also, I, th- I think it's a good thing though to celebrate the success because it's encouraging to the person that's not celebrating that success. So one of the things that the person does is not celebrate successes. And I think it's important specifically in the techniques to improve the feelings of imposter syndrome is to actually remember past successes as well as current successes and know how that you how your role has contributed to it so seeing the pattern emerge over time yeah i must say it's it's brave at least from my point of view, i don't know if i would be able to talk as openly about it and 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 write about it and go to conferences and, and speak about it survive being on the reddit front page <laughs> yeah that was scary that was very very scary <laughs> But I mean, what's some of the good things that came out of that? I don't want to say publicity, but I guess that's obviously what happened. (laughs) Publicity for the blog post. Well, I freaked out. (laughs) That was the first thing. Um, But it was so astounding to see how many people were actually coming to the page to read about what I had to share that actually touched people's lives. I mean, if I can write one thing and one person benefits from it. I've already accomplished something. All of a sudden, I had over 6,000 viewers come to the site. I don't know how many of them read it completely, but it must have had an impact. Uh, I've been on, this is now my third podcast for it. I have spoken at Ruby Fuser on it, and it's it's been an incredible journey, although it feels a bit funny being the poster girl for imposter syndrome. <laughs> but I'm glad that I can be helping people. When I first heard about imposter syndrome, I think it it was either on the Greater Than Code podcast or it was when most of those panelists were still on the Ruby Rogues. And I also remember reading a little bit about it at the time from one of the speakers, and I don't think I fully comprehended it. But I just remember it, it must be scary. I mean, I can just imagine, for me, it's, like you won't believe this being on a podcast, but for me, it's terrifying walking up to people in person and chatting to them. Um, <laughs> doing this behind a microphone is nice and safe. <laughs> wow. Um, but that's like, it's not unsurmountable and I can do it and I can get on stage and I love giving talks, um, you know, when it's one way. But that said, like, I've never felt that way continuously about my work. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it is, it's brave. Like, I guess for me and for a lot of other people that might get confused with this, it's not once-off events. It's like a perpetual thing. And you, yeah, you gave people some hope. And I'm sure you also gave a lot of people new vocabulary to talk about and explore and learn. I hope so. Uh, luckily, it's, it can be sometimes a once-off thing. Uh, it doesn't have to be a continuous thing. And, I mean, again, I talk about that spectrum Say, for instance, you're just, just, just in the middle of that spectrum. That can keep you humble. So it doesn't mean that having imposter syndrome is always a bad thing. It can keep you on a on a very good path of like, hey, I, I don't know everything, but um, I'm going to try stuff. I'm going to internalize my accomplishments, and uh, I'm going to stay humble at the same time. Wow. That's great. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> what is what's some of the other like um, hidden? Because it's great that you brought that up. So I'm guilty, like so many other people, of having glanced over imposter syndrome, listened to something about it, you know, on a show, read something else, but you know, just spent a little bit of time, and then from that made a certain set of assumptions. And um, the one that you just completely invalidated now. <laughs> so it's like, is it? <laughs> no, no, it's it's great. Is there any? Um, stereotypes around imposter syndrome that like that people have come up with that just shows you know they don't understand the problem fully or the syndrome fully just like I now did I thought it was 
a perpetual thing as opposed to one-off events and and you so nicely corrected me are there other um misconceptions about it general misconceptions i can't think of any at the moment no i haven't even thought about that that's actually a good idea to like look into that and write about that <laughs> yeah do i want to take a moment to tell you about officer OfferZen connects you with more than 350 South African companies that are hiring developers. Instead of dealing with recruiters or applying to dozens of jobs individually, on OfferZen, companies apply to you. To get started, just sign up on OfferZen.com and build a profile. Once you're ready, your profile is made visible to the companies hiring on OfferZen. Companies interested in you will send you an interview request with details about the job, including upfront salary info. So if you're looking for work or want to hire developers, check them out at OfferZen.com. That's O-F-F-E-R-Z-E-N.com. So from that, I mean, I, clearly on the blog, you can see you've found a great interest in um, writing about all these um, different aspects of uh, like soft skills and people and how our minds work, uh, that ongoing series about reshaping our brains. Was this just a newborn fascination from, from all the study or, or how did this come to be? Uh, that's a very long story. Um but I found myself in a bit of a predicament and I required some help. And I was introduced to something called dialectical behavior therapy, which is called DBT. And um, through that and a whole lot of other material that I was reading, I came to really become fascinated with the way we think about things and the way we, we address and, and deal with certain problems. So the the series that I'm currently trying to work on is specifically around some of those things that I was looking at, just to to change the way we think. It's it's not easy because you do things your entire life, and now all of a sudden you want to change something. I mean, if you think of a New Year's resolution, the first thing that goes is the resolution itself because we don't know how to actually implement it in such a way that we can actually make it sustainable. So there's these little changes that we can introduce, like in an agile world where you just introduce a small change, test it out, does it work? Yes. If it doesn't, throw it away. If it does work, continue using it until it becomes part of your your day-to-day habits. And it's the same with the rewiring, rewiring your brain series uh, just different ways and different techniques of getting these things to work and some of them even overlap because uh, they share the same interests so apart from the the soft skills which i think are very important i don't know if soft skills is the right word though yeah me neither but <laughs> yeah, i don't know i had a debate with someone about that but let's stick to stuff soft skills for now because i can't think of another word or interpersonal skills maybe Yes. People skills. People skills. People skills. Okay, so people skills, very important. But right now my focus is on self. So it's it's basically how can you help yourself be a better person because you can't change the way other people behave. Like I said earlier, you can't change that. You can't control it either. So the only thing that you can control is yourself. So what are these things that you can do to change the way you're thinking, the way you're acting, the way you're doing things um, so that you can be a better person and naturally attract better people to you? That's probably a ton of material to work through. Or do you just go around looking for the best TEDx talks? I go for whatever I'm feeling at that point in time, (laughs) actually. But the TEDx talks do help. There's a so much available and it's so invaluable the uh, the contents on the TEDx talks or the TED talks also. Yeah, definitely. I saw you mentioned one in the intro to the, the blog series. I think it was where I saw it. Just made me think I haven't watched the TEDx talk in, in way too long. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. I think I referenced one in the third one. Yeah, it was Amy Morin. Oh, now I don't know how to pronounce the surname. Morin? She, she spoke about the secrets of becoming mentally strong. And she gives this really, really hectic story about her her life and how 
her mother passed away and then her husband passed away three years later on the same day. And she's just like, she's going through all of these feelings and she's studying psychology and how is she supposed to get over this and the world is happening to her. Why is all this stuff happening? And it's just amazing how mentally strong she became by not letting these events that were definitely traumatic affect her to the point of debilitating her like imposter syndrome can do to someone or or any illness or anything like that can actually uh, debilitate one. As we record this, the Meisner fires just happened. Um, and I saw this, this beautiful thing on Twitter today, a picture from a Facebook post, ironically. But it was an artist who had a picture of his house burning down in the background. It's like the last house among a row of houses that he's up in flames. It's just ashes everywhere. And he says that although, I guess in a way, kind of like taps into that same power that this lady found. He just goes and says, look, it's it's gone. There's a lot of stuff gone, but we survived. And this photo, I'm probably going to turn into a painting. And I've got insurance. The house will get slowly rebuilt. Like it was a great garden and it will slowly grow back again and we'll make better bird feeders than we had. And just goes over this circle of life thing watching his own house burn down. I just thought like, it's so strong to be able to handle that wow. like that. Wow, that's... See, it takes a lot of emotional strength in order to be able to do something like that. I mean, what's the first reaction most of us would have? It's like, I think I would think, why is this happening to me? Come on. Like, really? Yeah, or the you know like the end of your life basically but it's not yeah and i think that's that's exactly what we need to realize specifically in in cases that are not as severe as a as a fire i mean in that point in time like specifically with the imposter syndrome if we go back to that now the reality is it's your reality so what you're feeling is is that that's real to you it might not be realistic it might not be the case in the greater scheme of things, but the way you're experiencing it is is your reality, and that's where the rewiring your brain and the mentally strong stuff comes in is to to change that reality that you're experiencing and to see things in a little bit of a, a more not necessarily positive way because you don't want to be like just positive the whole time. you need negativity, but in a in a healthier way. Do you have any, or have you found any nice, I'm loath to say tips, but any nice like low-hanging fruits or advice for somebody if they if they tend to find themselves in situations where reality is a bit too much for them at the you know at that point in time to help just catch their breath and and refocus a bit? I do, I do. The first thing I can think of is mindfulness and mindfulness is a technique that people can read up on, but it's basically, it basically helps you to calm your mind. What happens specifically in Joburg, I don't know if it's the same in Cape Town because it doesn't sound like that, is we're just rush, 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 rush. Everybody's got something to do, somewhere to be, and it has to be now and we have to go, 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 go. And that go, go mentality makes us drive and speak on the phone and eat a sandwich at the same time and we're just multitasking and we're thinking that's good but in fact it's stressing us out so if you have a look at what's happening in um, a buddhist monk for instance i mean people are walking slowly they're walking calmly and i'm not saying people need to become buddhists i'm just saying that they need to slow down so what happens in mindfulness is you bring yourself into the present. You can't control what happened in the past. The past is the past and it's there. You can reflect on it, but you can't get stuck into it. So when you're practicing mindfulness, you are completely aware of what's happening around you in this present time. So you smell the smells around you. You can see what's happening around you, the birds, the sky, whatever that it is that you're seeing, bringing yourself into the moment, breathing deeply. All these things help calm your mind. The other thing that I can say is it's like start talking to people. You've got people that work with you. 
and it's possible that some people are going through the same stuff. So talking to your peers might make a massive difference and create a support group for yourself. Another thing is we tend to compare ourselves to other people and uh, Facebook probably has really good intentions with connecting people, but it's also it's got a trade-off where people are sharing information that looks like they're living these amazing lives. So what we're exposed to is people's highlight reel. So I get to see how amazing these people's lives are, but mine is not as amazing because I see myself as a whole, but I only see the outside shell of other people. I don't know what you're feeling. I don't know what other people are feeling, but I know what I'm feeling. And I'm feeling horrible when I've got imposter syndrome. So comparing myself to others is is not going to help me feel better. You also need to realize that everybody struggles or everybody struggles with something. So we need to accept this. And there was this really cool quote that I, I put in my blog that said, accept this, then punch fear in the face which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> That's good. And I think the most important thing is to to remember past successes, celebrate them, and also know that you contributed towards it. I think that's important. And one thing that I forgot to mention was um, I was told that journaling practices are a good idea and never really found a way to actually journal until recently so apart from my blog I also do journaling and uh, it helps reflect so if you don't have time to actually sit and self-reflect or meditate or something like that or, or you find it a bit like you, you need to keep yourself busy writing in a journal really makes a big difference so that you can actually reflect and get the words down out onto paper and then your emotions are you've internalized it you might not have fixed it but you've actually written it down and you can write it down again and again and again and again i've heard a lot about journaling on the tim ferris show as well it seems him and a lot of his guests these high performing individuals love journaling is there any particular formula that like do you use like that bullet journal or something or do you just open up a piece of paper in a book and and start letting it flow that's what i do i i just write um, I have heard that there's different formats. Um, I think I think it would help if you use a specific format so that you can actually go back to your journal and have a look. Mine's just pen and paper, so it makes it very difficult for me to search because it's not digitized. But right now, for the purposes of my journaling, I'm, I'm happy with it being the way it is. The moment I start journaling in a in a different perspective i would probably look into different formats and and how i can make that work so that i can actually benefit from the information that i've created or curated based on the days and for the mindfulness i mean there's uh, instinctively i think i've installed it but never even used it um no, I don't even have it anymore. But there's people keep talking about this mindfulness app. I forgot his name. That might just be that mindfulness that's supposed to take you through these guided meditations. Headspace. Headspace. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you used something like that, or do you just really go and sit and focus to in a quiet space and activate all your senses and and really just live in that moment for a set amount of time? I think one day I'll be able to do it without an app, but right now I am I'm in between two worlds. So Headspace is definitely the best app that I've ever seen. The meditations that they have there are exceptionally useful and they've got different packs there. So there's packs for relationships, for work, for depression, for I can't remember all of them now. But there's, there's different types of meditations that they can take you through. Like if you're just struggling with stress and anxiety, then there's there's a pack there for that also. There's also guided, like normal guided meditations and unguided meditations. So a guided meditation is just the guys taking you through the meditation, telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. 
And the unguided meditation, I'm assuming, which I haven't done yet, is just like telling you when the time is up or something like that. So I'm able to sit outside and just be for a short period of time. But I find it more easier and more comforting to be able to meditate with an app. But the meditation and the mindfulness are two different things. Okay. Uh, would you mind clarifying the two for me, please? Okay. So the meditation is you're, you're also in the moment, but you're focusing on one thing, whether that be a stone in front of you, your breathing, whatever the case may be. The meditations that I've done, I generally close my eyes and you breathe and you're focusing just on your breath. Thoughts may come and go. You let them pass as well as what you would do in mindfulness, but you're not doing anything except for sitting or laying down and breathing. What mindfulness does is mindfulness just keeps you available in the present. So you could be working on code. So you can be mindful and writing code. So now imagine you're writing code and some person taps you on the shoulder and says, I need you to quickly do this. That is a distraction. And distractions often cause us a loss in what we're doing. So we forget what we were working on or it takes us a while to get back into what we were doing at that point in time. Now, mindfulness is to be able to work without any distraction. So you put up a sign to say, come back in 20 minutes, that's when I'm done. Or if you're pairing, then come back in 20 minutes, that's when we're done. And then you're mindfully working on the work that you're working on. You're not checking emails, you're not checking your phone, you're not answering phone calls, you're not doing anything but the work that you are doing at that point in time. Staying in the moment. And that's the same with if you're cooking or if you're driving or whatever the case may be. You can't meditate while you're driving. As far as I know, I think it's unsafe because <laughs> generally your eyes are closed. As far as I know, I might be wrong. I hope that gives you the difference between the two. Mm, mm, it does. I think I blanket the thing too closely. They're closely related. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess just before you uh, separated them neatly like that, to me, mindfulness was the meditation from Silicon Valley. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> that's the only reference I have for it, but still I need to go do that because um, I've never made the time for any of these exercises, but I guess like a lot of people and like a lot of New Year's resolutions, I keep threatening. But I did hear actually on, it was on uh, one of the Tim Ferriss shows, he was talking to a guest and, and this uh, the lady also said she can't do the sit-down meditations. She finds yoga is a one uh, big meditation. Um, I kind of find that too when I get around to it. And the other one she said that was surprising and that I've started doing it own now is just washing the dishes. And she says the same thing. Oh, yeah? Switch off your – just focus on the dishes. Like don't think about the other work you're going to do afterwards or like what a mess you made in the kitchen or like how many dishes there are or even tomorrow or anything. It's just like – be in there, in that water, with that soap and that dish and that, that utensil and you just chip away at it. And I find that, like, I feel relaxed afterwards when I do it. That's mindfulness. Okay. And that's, yeah, that's well done. If you were meditating, you're probably looking at the plate <laughs> and, and not doing anything with it. Okay. Is it's my understanding though, but the yoga is also an amazing form of um, exercise and mind relaxation, because afterwards you do a relaxation technique. It's usually about five minutes, and that's a form of meditation. Corpse pose. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, the yoga's hard work. Eh? I think people underestimate it. <laughs> Definitely. But the, the relaxation that you feel afterwards, not only in your body, but in your mind, it's it's really amazing. I love yoga. Yeah, I need to do more of it as well. That's for sure. Oh, so That's so cool that you do yoga. <laughs> Once every two weeks, maybe. I'm really lazy with it. <laughs> that's <admit>. fun. <laughs> that's fun. And it's just gym yoga. It's not even a, a nice yoga studio i'm also going to gym yoga and i'm finding it so fascinating 
it's so amazing and and relaxing. Unfortunately, with the gym yoga, you can hear the the other pumping music. Yes, <laughs> but it's okay. I've heard not that I've experienced myself, but when they've literally got the wires crossed in the gym, so the um, the cycling studios music ends up in the yoga studio. You can just no. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. As long as it's not the Zumba class in the in the yoga oh, wow. studio. <laughs> and so, so I just want to yeah bring it back a bit closer to the the day to day stuff. You also said starting to talk to other people. Is there any advice there for? Because I mean, a lot of developers are really shy. And above that, I, I think you know, like so many people went into this industry because they thought they could hide away from people. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> and then learn quite the the country. <laughs> is there any advice for for like? Oh yeah, I guess a lot of the advice you really offered kind of sums it up. Like realizing, you know, other people also deal with different things. Um, you know, that everybody's got their own demons, but to help somebody take that first step. Um, in chatting to a peer, or, or if they have a good relationship with somebody, how to bring this up, maybe in a way that's safe? I think what a person can do is to start with an icebreaker. So if you're approaching somebody like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this question from two different angles. One from how do you actually get into a conversation with somebody? And one, how do you get into, or number two, how do you get into a conversation and talk about the problem of imposter syndrome? Okay, so the first one I think is to have an icebreaker. So we know that developers love their their software development tools. So if you go in asking about something that's passionate to you and start a conversation about that, maybe you can actually break the ice and not expect the other person to necessarily agree with what you use or disagree with what you use. So don't go in with expectations. So if you be like, hey, do you prefer Emacs or Vim? and just let it go there <laughs> start a conversation <laughs> not an argument <laughs> well it doesn't have to be you mustn't let it be an argument you must just be like what do you prefer and then they can start and then generally if a person is passionate about the same thing then they'll start talking about it and you can just let that be the icebreaker and then not worry about it and then you can be like okay so about this topic that i want to talk about uh i think that might be a a dangerous icebreaker, but it could be an icebreaker to start talking about something that's passionate to you. But you need to go in without the intent of creating an argument, because <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be disastrous. Uh, the second point was you—you you maybe know this person quite well, and you want to talk about something like imposter syndrome. You can maybe start talking about your symptoms that you're feeling. So you're probably feeling that you've got like a whole lot of self-doubt. You don't know what you're doing. You probably feel like you're making the wrong choices, that you're inadequate, that everyone around you is smarter than you. You don't know what code to write. Uh, You don't know how to engage with others. You don't know how to innovate or be creative. And you're losing out on all sorts of opportunities. So you can you can basically tell them, well, these are the things that I'm experiencing. I think I'm experiencing imposter syndrome. And I don't know what maybe you have some thoughts uh, that you could share on it. You don't have to necessarily mention the imposter syndrome. You can basically just talk about the symptoms, maybe someone's feeling similar to one of those symptoms and then they can just give you advice on the symptom but it's very important in the conversation to say you are looking for advice because what generally happens is um, there's two types of conversations that I can think of and that's one where you want to rant like oh I'm feeling this I'm feeling that I'm feeling this I'm feeling that and then someone's already giving you all this advice you don't want advice, you just want somebody to listen. So if you're specifically seeking out advice and you say, I want advice, then the other person giving you advice knows that they're supposed to give you advice and you have created that um, expectation to get advice. Do you think you might accidentally end up getting better advice? Because people, 
And I mean, I guess I'm guilty of it too, you know, just dispense advice without thinking. I do the same. But somebody actually asking for it could make you stop and think and therefore actually deliver something way better than some something without context and the right grounds. And That's a possibility. I don't know uh, if, if it's got a big impact just actually asking for it, um, but it might. Uh, the other thing that one can do is that test I mentioned. It's in one of my blog posts, so just send you the link to that test also. Take that test and then see how bad the imposter syndrome is at that point in time. And if it's not at such a high level, then you can still talk to people about it, but at least you know you're not suffering to such a great extent. At least you know where on the spectrum you are. Is that a, a long test or is it something somebody can do like weekly if they're trying to learn and understand this in themselves? Sure. I think it's a five to ten minute test. It's not It's not that long. There's only a few questions and you rate them one out of five. That sounds like quick. So it's, it's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, I definitely link that up in the in the show notes for people. And then I think for my side, I've, I've got one more question and then Chantal can, can chime in. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> with writing these blog series, I'm guilty of it, having said this is part one of N and then that's part one period. Um, <laughs> I see it so often on, on other bl- blogs, especially people people going like, oh, yeah, like this is the, the uh, you know, the required blog post of why I rewrote my blog in, in some new platform because now I'm going to really blog and then that's again the end of it. Um, yep. <laughs> so I guess the question is kind of two parts. Like one, what keeps you going? But I'm also curious how you plan out writing these bigger series. Because, I mean, the one you've got down, rewiring your brain, I i don't think I can see it ending ever. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem. So I i don't plan it. I wing it. Unfortunately, I wing a lot of stuff. So a lot of my work is based on intuition. I created the Rewire Your Brain series because I wrote a post that ended up being too long. And I broke it down into a few parts And that's where that came from. The distress tolerance one was a new one that I added. So I didn't anticipate that one. I'm currently working on part four and five. Are they all still from the original one that was too long? Uh, I think those two are, yeah. I know the one is. uh, I'm working on the Satter change model. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Um, And then the other one is, I can't remember the name now. The Satter one was definitely from the original one. I'm just struggling to to finalize them. Oh, sometimes the writing just comes. Other days it, it doesn't. Yeah. And then how I continue is um, I just, like, because I don't have a defined backlog or stuff that I, I specifically want to write about, if something happens, then I write about it. So if something big or impacting happens, then I I want to share my thoughts on it. So that's where a lot of those those posts come from. So when I wrote when I did the talk at Ruby Fuser, what happened was people came to me afterwards and told me that I didn't look scared at all. I'm standing up there talking about imposter syndrome and I'm freaking out and people told me I didn't look scared at all. I looked at my video and I looked like I had this monotone face. Like, what's wrong with these people? (laughs) So I told them, um, I'm actually, uh, I was actually very scared. So that's where the fear behind the scenes came from was like, sometimes people look so natural up on stage, but they're actually panicking and people don't realize that. And I think if we cultivate uh, a culture of understanding how people feel on stage, maybe other people won't be so hesitant to go up on stage. Each of these blog posts happened to be something that actually had a massive impact on me. Wow. I'm just going to go read that fear post after this because that's that's my (laughs) sentiment being on stage. Shall I send the link to you? I've got like four tabs open off your website already. (laughs) (laughs) I've been jumping around, exploring. I mean, it's, it's weird. I guess maybe it's my equivalent of bungee jumping or jumping out of plane is getting up on a stage <laughs> I, I don't even know if that yep. even makes sense like i would i petrified of the idea of throwing myself out of a plane or off a bridge um, 
but getting on the stage I always enjoy it after the fact i never feel like i need forced and i i've told a lot of people before like if i just help make jokes like before their first talk and you know to calm the nerves or whatever i'm just like somehow and i don't know if i for many people i speak but it's easier for me speaking to like ruby fusa like 250 people or jason is a um in a few weeks will be like that size or more or 300 or 400 people um at tech for africa it was also a big conference then it is speaking at a meetup in front of 10 it's when they are so close <laughs> that you could look at everybody like a hundred times um that it's it really gets to me and it's quite bizarre but also at a bigger place when it's got a stage i love doing what like I always jokingly call it the Rayma pastor move to just like up and down, walk up and down the stage. And oh, really? I find it helps a lot. It's just that I can move. Nobody else can. They're all stuck in their seats with me. <laughs> that is so courageous. <laughs> I did not want to move at all. I just stood there. My kneecaps were jumping up and down. I'm like, my hand is shaking. I'm just going to be here by the microphone and everything is going to be okay. <laughs> I couldn't move. No, I, I have to. Stuck. If I don't move, I start stuttering and I start losing my spot like big time. Oh, wow. So, I think um, walking probably like helps release that energy because um, also if I have to do like a presentation or something and I also like get shaky, but like if you – can walk around a bit or like fiddle with some key cards or something. I think that helps kind of like release the tension. Maybe I haven't been brave enough to try that. All I do is stand. I've only spoken at two events and one was five minutes and it was the worst experience of my life. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I just stood there and spoke. Okay. It came out well, but I was freaking out. And then the Ruby Fuser one, man, 200 people is a lot of people. It is a lot yeah. of people. <laughs> it was hectic. And I also, I couldn't move. So, yeah, I take my hats off to you being able to move around and take off that energy. Like, I think I would probably fall on my face. Not last year, the year before Ruby Fusa was, I always forget the hotel's name. It was a different one, not the the president. It's president to tell it was this year? Well, I think so, yeah. Same as last year, but the year before, the, the it's weird. The way the floor layout was, was you basically only saw like two round tables in front of you. And then it was a very wide space. So even standing in the middle still, the whole place doesn't fit in your peripheral vision. So it felt a lot smaller than it was because you could never see the whole crowd at once. And oh, wow. I think that also helped, but it was also nice for the pacing. <laughs> it was a nice fast fish to motor up and down. I think that was the one I attended in like towards Milneton. Milneton, yes. Side. Yeah. That's quite a weird um, conference layout. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but it worked great for the for my style at least. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Advantage. Yep. Chantal, is there anything you want to ask? I mean, we're definitely close to recording time. I don't think there's anything I want to ask, but I think I just want to comment that I think this information is really useful because I don't think people speak about it that much, even though people are aware that imposter syndrome's out there, but people don't always recognize it. And it's very helpful that, that you've spoken about it and there's like a test that people can take to help see where on the spectrum they are. Yeah, and also just some of the other tips around, like related to mental health as well, I, I like mindfulness and meditation. I think those are really useful, especially because with also being a developer is that you like constantly connected to your computer so you can take your work home and that can be quite stressful. So I think it's good to know that you should, maybe take some time out to um, reflect on things yeah that's nicely summed up and said thanks yeah i would also implore people to go learn a bit more about this go watch i think the videos are up from fusa <laughs> yeah they okay. are. I'll, uh... I'll send the link <laughs> yeah I, i'm definitely gonna go watch it because i'm guilty of having heard about it and listened to one other podcast about it and thought i had a rough idea of what it entailed but thank you for for setting the record straight for me at least yeah, so I, and part of it, this awareness of, of what out, what's out there and that people themselves could be affected by it or their immediate team, peers, people they work with every day and depend on, 
I think it's it's really critical that we just open our eyes a bit and and see what the world is like for other people as well. So thank you so so much for this. Oh, it's all my pleasure, and thank you for having me on the show. Oh, the pleasure, absolute pleasure. And uh, if there's any parting words from your side for the for the listeners, I'd like to read something from our blog. Uh, it's from the imposter within under uncertainty, basically to say some of the the techniques that we can use in the face of uncertainty. What I said there was to know that certainty is an illusion. So things can change in a heartbeat. And I think it's important to remember that because, I mean, the only constant in your life is you. You can't change what's happening around you. The people come and go. Your thoughts come and go. Day and night come and go. So it's important to know that certainty is definitely an illusion. So you need to focus on what you can control and get confidence about your coping and adapting skills and prepare for different possibilities and accept constant imperfection and don't get attached to everything. Reconnect with the constants in your life and then you can practice mindfulness. And uh, a mentor once taught me to ask myself three questions when something bad happens. The first question you should ask is, what do I think is the worst possible realistic outcome of the situation? The second question is, how will I feel about it? And the third question is, what will I do about it? Those three questions have helped me calm myself and suppress, or not necessarily suppress, but help me with my anxiety in in certain situations. And... What I want to say lastly is thank you for listening to me and the show. And again, thanks for having me on the show. Good luck. Thank you so, so much. Thanks, Larisse. Um, Do you have any picks for us? Douglas Adams. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the That's trilo- my pick. Trilogy in five parts. Yes, exactly. That one. Okay. I have uh, my pick. I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Chatel, do you have any picks? Yes, so my pick is a Reddit thread, um, and the title is Accidentally destroyed production database on first day of a job and was told to leave. On top of this, I was told by the CTO that they need to get legal involved. How screwed am I? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, basically it's about a junior um, developer who started working at the company. It was his first non-internship job after university and while he was setting up his developer well his or hers (laughs) developer environment accidentally I think overwrote the production database while doing that but I think the most interesting thing about this reddit thread is how supportive people were that it wasn't this person's fault that it was more a reflection of how the company is run that those that information shouldn't have been in the documentation and exactly yeah so i think i mean if this had happened to me i probably would have like been like that's it i'm i'm not going to be a developer i'm quitting this field completely oh no <laughs> so i think that's why i think the it's very it's very nice to read the comments how encouraging people were what a nice share yeah thanks i can fully sympathize with that person like just under two years ago i knew the staging database at a company like that and it turned out staging was a bit more sacred than i would have thought (laughs) but it was different i was busy creating those documents on how to set up testing on your own machine and how to run your test and how to truncate your database because that's what you do when you run it you must truncate your database to prepare for fixtures so I know the feeling that truncate and I think the next moment the whole floors are buzz and people are freaking out and I had no idea what's going on. I'm carrying on with setting up my test harness. Yeah, luckily I didn't get escorted out the building. I actually got a joke prize at the year in function for um, being the destroyer of staging databases. <laughs> so no threats of legal, but yeah, that, that post was great. And I've been, I watched it for a few days after on Twitter, people just going, no, it's, it's the CTO. Like the CTO needs to get fired, not not that dev so i i, I wouldn't want to i want to say i hope that person is still there and has a, a good job but that environment sounds so toxic that i hope they're long gone and find a great place by now yeah no definitely yeah oh that was a bit of rant 
Sorry, and then <laughs> I've got a pick. Um, <laughs> just one that's actually been in my pick list for quite a while. I just never. Then this might be the the best episode for it yet. This is guy on YouTube, Jason Silver. Um, he makes these short little videos, shots of awe. You can just search for shots of awe and, and find it. And they, some of them are actually really quite nice. Uh, it's just those few seconds beautifully produced. And it, same thing, it just kind of challenges you to stop and think about something else that matters. Um, to get your head out of the rut and just go, like, here's something important about life, love, relationships. Just stop and think and ponder. And it's really well done. And I don't know if he's got a bigger... If it's part of maybe it's a book author or something else, but I just love those short clips. So that's it, that's it for me. Clarice, that is so cool. Yeah. Clarice, thank you so, so much again. Um, yeah, and, and I really wish, wish you all the best with all the blog posts. I go from 50 to 100. And, and keeping on like talking about this and, and being so incredibly brave and open about your journey. Like, I've so much respect. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks everyone for listening and have a good night. Show notes for this episode can be found on zadevchat.io. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at zadevchat or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to the ZADevchat podcast and we'll see you next time.